0: Hello, everyone. It's time for Wits End Podcast, and I am Jonathan Marshall, and you're going to find me located over in Toledo, Ohio, where I am endeavoring to pastor the Hope yeah. Baptist Church. Brother George, where are you I'm right in, now?
1: I'm in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, the big party just north of you, as Robin Williams calls it, and I'm endeavoring <laughs> to pastor, to pastor uh, the Hope Baptist Church of Montreal he said robin williams said that uh canada's like a the loft on top of a great big party <laughs> <The life laughs> loft <on top> of. <laughs>
0: i have heard it called the attic before uh, yeah. america's attic like yeah. what's going on up there That's good. <laughs> but you know i will say as a side note before we jump into true important things that there is um i've noticed that when i was a kid we go to mexico and we go to canada and how mexico um, they were just not as concerned about certain things, the streets being clean, for instance. And then you come into America, uh, we call it America, the, the United States, and sure. they, they, it was cleaner, seemed like. But then when you go to Canada, you, I felt embarrassed about how <laughs> unclean we were in the States. It's like this keeps getting cleaner and cleaner as you get closer <laughs> to the North Pole. Anyhow, okay, guys, I don't know why or how or when that needed to be put in, but there it was. So we're right in the middle of our conversations. We're having fun with um, with uh, our discussions. We started last week, and we were able to, to to get all the way through. I mean, we exhausted the contents of Genesis one one. I mean, we squeezed every little bit of everything out of it. No, I'm just kidding. I don't think it's possible. The Lord, there's... There is no searching of his understanding, so there's no way to get it all, but uh, we did have a good time with that. So today, Brother George, I'm, I, I'm just, I, I don't know if I'm man enough to, to introduce this topic. Can you, can you bring us in as, uh, as lambs to the slaughter to Genesis yeah. 1, verse 2?
1: Hopefully we're not, we're not the lambs being slaughtered in this. <laughs> the, um, a lot of people who are listening in would probably be expecting us to hit the gap. Yes. And uh, that came up in the discussion too uh, yesterday. So we're going to talk about the gap, whether it's a theory, it's a fact. Uh, I'm just opening up here my notes on this. And uh, so the idea oh, you is... Have
0: notes. You have notes. Yes. Okay, good. It's
1: actually commentary. It's called Genesis Generating. That's the next one after Daniel coming out. But but I have to finish oh, it really? first. Yeah, but it's uh, like 900 pages. <laughs> uh, let's see. It's, so the idea, just kind of to introduce the idea of what the gap is, people may have heard about it. And so when you go to Genesis one, the, the, the question is this, is does, is Genesis one part of the creation cycle uh, or not? Is it part of the creation process or not? So I'll read it like most people read it first, you know, regularly when you come to the Bible. Um, it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So you kind of have to pause and imagine exactly what happened here. Is this a finalized heaven and earth? Because the next verse um, does numbers on everybody. We all kind of scratch our head about it in verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. So now it sounds like when God created earth back in verse 1, that he created it covered with water and covered with darkness. And then um, bringing it out from the darkness and out from the water is part of the creative process all one process where in verse three and god said let there be light and there was light and god saw the light that it was good and god divided the light from the darkness and god called the light day and darkness he called night And the evening and the morning were the first day which would mean not only light was created on the first day but heaven and earth were created in a non-finalized form and then he proceeds kind of from that bare bones structure that's covered with water and darkness to uh, bring out some kind of structure and order out of that created chaos, <clears throat> so there's that, and then there's the other way of reading it where people look at that. So in that way of reading it, um, there's two ways of reading it actually. That way, there's verse one is either part of the creation process, so he's he's actually creating in verse one, or verse one is a title,
0: you right. know, like a introductory
1: title. Yeah, it's a headline, right, of what's going to go on after. <clears throat> and then so the other way of reading it would be. Uh, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth so this is finalized completely finalized in their pristine forms and he has also created the angels and Lucifer here and then something happens between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 hence the term gap and what would happen is the rebellion of Lucifer uh, interestingly side note there's, there's no verse anywhere that I can think of any explicit verse that says that angels, other angels fell along with Satan when he fell uh, we in, we infer it, but there's no direct verse on it. Well, it doesn't mean it's wrong, but I thought it's just an interesting tidbit. Okay, so the idea is that Genesis um, Lucifer rebels between Genesis one one and one two, and it's like a, basically a movie where you have an introduction. You see on the first on the introductory scene, you have a pristine heaven and earth, and then the the camera cuts, and the next scene that's before you is that same earth, but now it's covered in <coughs> darkness and water, and you are given to understand to supply that some kind of cataclysm happened between the both cuts. And later on, it gets explained what happened, just like many movies. So the cut now is to the judgment that followed Lucifer's fall. And that judgment has resulted in the earth being without form and void and darkness being upon the face of the deep. And the creative process would actually begin not in verse 3, as many people would imagine, but in the middle of verse 2, where it says, and the Spirit of God, forgive me, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and what happens then is basically God coming in on a disaster zone and re creating the original creation that Lucifer messed up and he doing so in six days.
0: Mm-hmm. And and I see, uh, I'm just going to give you a, a quick synopsis of where I've come from. <clears throat> so obviously there are a lot of people that disagree with the concept of a gap and I will say this, it doesn't matter whether or not the gap helps evolution, whether it hurts it, that's not the issue. The issue is not, well, that can't be true because it would mean this. At the end of the day, it can be true if that's what the Bible teaches, no matter what you think or what you don't think. At the end, at, at, ultimately, the Word of God is the final authority and how do we come up, how do we arrive at a correct understanding of what the scripture teaches? We have to compare spiritual things with spiritual and what that means is we look at them, it's like you go to the doctor the the optometrist or the optician, I can never remember which one is which which does which, but when you sit down and they're they're testing your eyesight to determine uh, whether or not your eyesight is good and then you find out, okay, it's not good. I need glasses or contacts. They begin to put these lenses in front, and they say, one or two, two or three. And that's how they determine what they're going to give you. And they, tri- they double-check and triple-check to make sure that they have the correct prescription. That's the way I look at the Scripture. My eyesight is not great. Open thou mine eyes, that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. But I can't just have my eyesight open to one verse, and we get it all. The way our eyesight is improved is by saying one, or two, two, or three. So the goal of uh, of this podcast is to encourage you to study the Word of God, to in, to to love the Word of God, and to be a human to admit that you are not capable of being perfect, even in your understanding of a, of, of a perfect Bible. Uh, so what 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 George is saying is there's two ways he gave you two ways to look at it, and. What I my personal opinion is, I'm up. I'm a candidate for anything that the Bible says, no matter how hard it may be to believe, as long as it can be proven from Scripture. And the traditional approach, what what men have always believed about it, doesn't really impress me, because during the during the Middle Ages, during the Dark Ages, whatever you want to call them, all the way up until after the Reformation, the concept of a premillennial return of Jesus Christ was somewhat lost. I mean, it was there in Scripture, but because man didn't have the Bible, uh, there wasn't a resurgence of that premillennialism, so to speak, the premillennial return of Jesus, the rapture, it had kind of gotten lost. Why? Because guys stopped talking about it, stopped teaching it, and everybody copies everybody. And so it just kind of got lost. And then when you came out of the Reformation and people had the word words of God in their hands, they began to say, wait, this is what Scripture actually says. Now, it always said that, but over time, it became obscured by tradition and by dynamic personalities insisting that it could never mean that, or withholding information, people not having their eyes on the book. And so when you come down, and this is more the philosophical approach, when you come down to the gap, if you're coming from the background like me, you might think, oh, gross. Oh, no, we could never do that. Well, who cares what everybody thinks about it? What the most important is. Uh, Decision: the most important decision you have to come to is, am I going to follow this all the way to the end, basing my decision not on whether I like it, whether it feels right, but whether the words of God actually say that. Okay, so that's a general general overview. Very quickly. Next thing I wanted to say, George, I have heard this, and I want to hear your response to it, just like the headline concept, in the beginning God created heaven and the earth, and he goes on to describe that. If you go down in chapter one, uh, it, it says in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. And then in chapter two, it says in verse seven, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. And, and then he put the man in the garden that he had formed, versus two, uh chapter two, verses seven and eight. So that that goes right along with the concept of a headline and then an explanation. So I want to hear your response to that as well.
1: I'll, yeah, that's that's actually an excellent excellent question. Boy, uh, talk about iron sharpening iron. I like the illustration too about one or two or two or three, um, and the the fact that. Uh, it, uh, some doctrines that we hold dear as fundamental, like the premillennial return of the Lord, indeed had been lost during the Dark Ages. Um, and I, I, you know, we'll get into it, I'll get into your question, because it's a very good question in a second, but also to make clear to, to the people listening, I, my background, I didn't believe in it. Um, I resisted that for about a year, a year and a half, from what I recall, and I've come to believe it, but I don't consider people who don't believe in the gap to be heretics. You know, and mm-hmm. I was just having that conversation with Brother Tim Morton uh, yesterday, uh, for the guy who uh, wrote the Bible Analyzer program and PreservedWords.com. So whatever, your, whatever people's position is on this, I think people, most people here are, are like Bible believers and they do believe the Bible. <coughs> uh, I've got people in our church that don't believe in the gap and they love the Lord and they believe the Bible. So you're not a heretic either way. And in the words of Matt Crane, a disagreement does not equal disrespect, you know, so Mm. we can entertain both sides and hear out both arguments, knowing that both people are Bible believers who respect the text and that's what they see. So Mm. I just want to make that clear to to the people. But to me, it's personally, uh, in my opinion, that has really enriched my understanding of uh, the redemptive arc of human history and why we're here. I think it's just fascinating. I just mm-hmm. absolutely love it. Um, <clears throat> okay, so why couldn't it be uh, a headline title? Um, the so when I was when I didn't believe the gap, and I'm kind of going off the fly here because keep in mind this is just a discussion. It's not like a, a very minute Bible study here. But <clears throat> when I was going through the uh, when I denied denied the gap, I had a heart. One of the things that helped me. Move towards believing the gap, is I tried to read the text uh, without the gap as if it were, let's say, a headline. That's one of the ways I took that it's a headline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, And I came across some problems with that. Uh, so, for example, um, uh, I'll, I'll read you what Kyle and Dillich say about this. I think the commentators, 19th century commentators, experts in the Hebrew, not that you need to be an expert in the Hebrew. So. You always have to put qualifiers nowadays, right? <laughs> yes, you, <laughs> you know? do. Yes. Disclaimer do. on everything. <laughs> we should have some kind of list of disclaimers that rolls on the screen at the beginning.
0: Yes, know? just basically, we, we don't believe, yeah, everything that you think that you want to hate about us is not true. Only the good things right. are <laughs> true. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah.
1: so they say this sentence, which stands at the head of the records of Revelation, is not a mere heading nor a summary of the history of creation, but the declaration of the primeval act of God by which the universe was called into being. Though, so they don't believe in the gap, by the way. <coughs> that this verse is not a heading merely is evident from the fact that the following account of the course of the creation commences with and, which connects the different acts of creation with the fact expressed in Genesis 1-1 as the primary foundation upon which they rest. So the fact that you have and introducing every verse. Uh, remember, Kyle and do not believe in the gap And their argument is you cannot say that this is a heading. Who who is this? Kyle Dillich are Hebrew experts from the 19th century. How do you say that? What what's the word? Oh, they're it's they're Germans. If I'm not mistaken, uh, they are. Let me pull it out. uh, It's Kyle and Dillich commentary on the Old Testament. John Carl Friedrich Kyle and Franz Dillich, professor of of Old Testament at the University of Leipzig. If I'm reading that correctly, with the Germanic schools together. Yeah.
0: You went to school together? We went to different schools yeah. together, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I so, got you derailed.
1: No, no worries. Uh, so that's one, The All the Ants, which derive from a primeval mm-hmm. act, a primeval act, which, interestingly, that's another thing that really threw me for a loop is the 19th century commentators, and I asked that from some some people now, some pastors, they actually understood this, who didn't believe in the gap, as that you have some kind of, like, primordial substance which they call a terraqueous substance so Terra and aqua mm-hmm. earth mm-hmm. and water together and from this kind of blob the Lord starts um, refining a creation mm-hmm. so that's the kind of way you you would have to read it um, if you if if you don't get the gap
0: so that and I I, I, uh, I I referenced it just a moment ago and hold that thought when when I went in toward the Creation Museum years ago, uh, they had a specific plaque set up specifically to decry the gap theory. And the reason for it is, hmm. if you allow the gap theory, um, you're basically allowing for eons of time in which evolution could have occurred. And in fact, their, their specific accusation was that's the only reason the gap theory ever came about was because they were trying to allow for the millions of years of evolution. And, again, that's what I meant by, well, we can't have that to be true because then that would mean this, and that allows for this heresy or this false teaching. And and the point that I'm making is mm. it doesn't matter if it, if it does allow right. for that. Right. What matters is, does the Scripture teach it? So, all right, close quote.
1: Yeah, well, so parallel illustration to that, you, many people will deny the doctrine of eternal security of the believer even in the church age because yes. well if you teach that then people you're allowing right, people do whatever they want but you know the weakness of anyhow. men, yeah, so the weakness of God is stronger than men the Bible says that's kind of if yes. people want to use it to their own destruction yes. that's their problem but even there I'm kind of always kind of baffled by, by a little bit by this uh, accusation that it allows for evolutionary for evolutionary kind of view of the world for a couple of reasons first of all the the uh, a lot of people will tell you that um that thomas Chal- chalmers in the, in the in you know from the 18 early 19th century is the one that came up with that mm-hmm. just at the time when evolutionary thought was in its inception and he's right. trying to accommodate <clears throat> but he's actually thomas chalmers if i'm not mistaken is a l- little old, older than darwin uh, let me check that's a good question i should check uh, how old uh, darwin is though wonders of the internet.
0: 1858 was a species, I think? Origin of species?
1: Uh, yeah, see? that So, yeah, you're, you pretty much have it, because Darwin is born in 1809. 1809. Chalmers uh, popularizes gap creationism in 1814, so when Darwin was five years old. So the context is not necessarily evolutionary, as we imagine it to be today. There were people before Darwin who kind of looking down that barrel, but he himself uh, attributes the, the idea to uh, Simon Episcopius uh, from, who was a 17th century Dutch or theologian. So, from, so the first person that kind of starts talking about that is in the 1600s, which was when the King James Bible comes out and there's kind of a, a light being shed again on the medieval Europe of the dark ages. Uh, but but here's, here's the nail in the coffin of this, of this idea that it allows for ages and ages. Even, even in gap creationism, the universe is still 6,000 years old. It's the Earth that would potentially be older than 6,000 years, and I'm not saying that's millions of years old, but people forget that. So even in gap creationism, uh, the heavens are recreated completely uh, in Genesis chapter 1, 6,000 years ago. So even gap creationists believe that the stars are 6,000 years old, the galaxies are 6,000 years old, space is 6,000 years old. And so we're still at loggerheads with the uh, secular scientific consensus that the um, universe is 13.8 billion years old. So, you know, I hope this is clear and they should make that clear because if if, uh, the point of gapists was to reconcile with secular scientism, then we would not be saying that the universe is only 6,000 years old. Gap creationism does not affect the age of the universe. It affects the age of the earth.
0: Yeah, and I can say personally... Um, What I've had to do is grapple with the text. What does the text say? It says that the earth was without form. Okay, so when was the earth formed? I mean, there was an earth there, and it was without form. So it was an unformed earth and void. So it was a void and formless earth. When was that made? It was always made? Why was so, it formless and void? And so, when I read that plaque in the in the and by the way, I appreciate the work that that uh, Ken Ham is doing, and and sure. I, I mean I I've, I'm behind him, but Absolutely. I didn't even realize that that would have been an issue, um, or that someone could possibly use that as an excuse for evolutionary progress or evolutionary uh, you know theory. I was never thinking about that. I'm just looking at the text. Me neither.
1: Yeah, me neither. That never came to mind. That's. After I was talking about this, and people told me that I was like, "What? I, you know, I, I certainly don't believe the rubbish that uh, the universe is 13.8 billion years old. It just make it, that's un- completely unscientific. I have no problem mm-hmm. with the Earth being 7,000 years old. I got no problem at all mm-hmm. with that. And so the yeah. other way to read it is that it's part of the creative process. So I tried reading it as so that it's formed in verse one. You can read it mm-hmm. that way. But then, you you know, the creative days, the creative work days of a day two, three, and four, and five, and six all begin with the expression let. Like, you know, on day two, you know, uh, day one, let there be a, uh, day two, yeah, let there be a ferment in the midst of the waters. Uh, day three, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together. Day four, uh, let there be lights. Day five, let the waters. Day six, let the earth. So when does the first let appear? And it appears in Genesis 1, 3, after Genesis 1, 2. So it's it's excluding Genesis one two from the, day, the first day of creation. At least the the text like the, the text seems to be doing that, seems to be doing that, you know. And then a day is is a is uh, a day is first defined after the first let in verse three. That's when a day is first defined. So th- there's and you know this is because the days are there was a, the days are defined as they're bracketed by the expression there was an evening and a morning. So it depends on that 24-hour cycle. But light only gets introduced in verse 3. So how are you calculating days before verse 3 would be my question.
0: Right, right. And it's apparently whatever system, if he'd used any system at all, was not being used prior to verse number 3, Verse 3 and 4. There was another system or there was no system, timelessness. Yeah,
1: uh, another qu- uh, question too I ask is, when was water created? Right. Um, so non is you know, they, they, it's uh, if or or like you know, like you're asking, when was Earth created? Only the, see, only the dry land is termed Earth in, in verse uh, nine. And that's because Earth as a planet already existed uh, back in one one, but it's not the planet that's created on the third day. It's simply the dry land that is made to appear, and that, that's simply done by gathering of the waters into one place. So that's clearly implying that the earth was already there, only submerged in verse 2. And if Genesis in 1-2 were describing the creative process beginning with the Terahqueus blob, then when was the water created? Because verse 1 says, God created the heaven and the earth. So when's the water created then? Where Where's all that water come from? So it, it's not just that the heavens and the earth. God created the heaven, the earth, and a massive amount of water. It's not like this is not... Where where, where does the water come in? At, uh, you know, that, that, that's a question I, You know, that's... Kind of, I'd be interested in. Um, mm-hmm. So you got we got all kinds of things like that. When I'm trying to read it without the gap, that I have unanswered questions to my mind.
0: Mm-hmm. So you'd have to say that God created the heaven and the earth, and that by you know that's when God created. That's when God created water. Okay, so God created water, and God created earth. In um, in Genesis one one. Okay, but why was the earth without form? Like it wasn't even a blob, it wasn't even a circle, uh, a, a ball. What was it? It was without form. Was it just a flat floating disc? Uh oh. Um, what? <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> what? I mean, was it just like an amoeba? What was it? What was it? He created the heaven and the earth. So. The thing is, even if even if you try to say, um, e- the problem is, and I, and I know the the, the the reference that's that's used often is God created the earth to be inhabited, right? Um, he made it not in vain. He made it to be inhabited. You know what I'm talking about there in Isaiah? Yes. Uh, let me pull out because 45, 18, 45, 18. Well, Thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God Himself that formed the earth and made it. Okay, so He formed the earth. He hath established it. He had created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. So He He created it and formed it to be inhabited. He created it not in vain. But here in Genesis in Isaiah forty five, it. Uh, He's saying that he yes I'm sorry but in Genesis chapter one verse two the earth is without form.
1: Yes, um, I'm just looking at my notes on that yeah. So, uh, my argument with the so the way I use Isaiah 45 because you could even even if you don't believe in the gap you could say well he did create it to be formed, you know it's just that it was a creative process of getting the earth in such a state. As it is conducive to being inhabited by human beings mm-hmm. um, so there's kind of like that counter which is which is fine you know that, that not we don't have to all, use all the arguments necessarily, but what what i see what I see the difference between isaiah forty five eighteen and one two is the the wording when you hear here the earth was without form, and then forty five eighteen says God himself that formed the earth God you know doesn't it's kind of odd to imagine the Lord creating anything even as a um, you know, without form and void, because it says uh, the Lord formed the earth and He formed it to be inhabited,
0: and um, and it's synonymous. The created the created the word created, and formed and made, and established, and formed in that in forty five eighteen of Isaiah. Those things are synonymous. God Himself that formed the earth and made it. And and made it, and so. What's interesting is if you think about um, how many times just as, and guys listen, hang on with us here because we're just we're yeah. just this is a conversation.
1: Yeah, uh, and I know some of the counter. I I know the counter objections are arising in people's minds as they listen to this, and keep in mind this is a conversation, so it's not perfectly structured, but we'll try to hit those.
0: Yeah, um, so like some people say, okay, well, there's a difference between created and made, that God created the heaven and the earth, and then God made these other things. Well, when you go back to, um, you know, a summary in Genesis chapter 2, God, verse 3, because in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Uh, Verse 4, these are the generations of the heavens heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And, and, And what day... What day did God create the earth and heavens? You know what I'm saying? It must yeah. it, had, it had to have been a day before the creative creative week.
1: So you're saying that two four is, is is talking about the the, the pre Adamite earth?
0: Well, what, what what I'm just asking when you see two four, the Lord God made the in the day that the Lord God made the the earth and the heavens. Uh, what day was that in the creative week
1: there's there's references in the Bible where day is used not every reference today is necessarily 24 hours yeah that's true uh, reference uh, and he says there the generations
0: when with the generations of it that that's when they were generated when they were created
1: in the day let's see I'm just going down to my notes on that
0: And so, the, you know, you're listening to the podcast and you're going, "Man, the guy's got a lot of gaps." And you know, we could probably edit them out and and do that. But here's the thing: this is what you mean. This is what we mean by comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Uh, and this is what it means to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman. You know, it's easier to do just scroll, just just you know, use your finger to move images on screens. It's just easier to do. It's when you get into this thing where you start challenging your assumptions and you challenge even the assumptions of sometimes people that you that you uh, that you admire and respect. Why? Not because you think you're greater, but because you want to magnify the word of God above every name. You want to magnify the word of God. So I'm giving George time to just. Uh, yeah. Fun, yeah. Sorry. Amazing notes. I know this is
1: not the morning most most exciting kind of way to do it, but I don't want to just say anything stupid. There's so much yeah. to cover. And. Uh, this is really a deep subject. So I'm looking at my notes here, and all what I've got is what I've what I've said earlier that sometimes the expression so this day covers six days, mm-hmm. uh, basically, and there, there's cases in the Bible where pretty clearly you can show mm-hmm. that uh, sometimes day is a 24-hour cycle, and sometimes it it covers uh, a brief unspecified l- l- period of time of unspecified length. Uh, but to go back to so, but your question about why can it be so yes, the Lord created the earth to be inhabited, and to that, uh, people would answer, well, even if it's part of the creative process, uh, eventually it's going to get inhabited, so you can't use Isaiah 45:18, which which I agree, I can, I can agree with that m- mentally, I don't have to get all the possible arguments on my side if they're a bad argument, but then, so it becomes a question then of, how does the Bible use the expression without form and void? For me, that's really what kind of drove me over the edge to believing the, the gap looking at how the Bible, because there's two ways to look at the expression without form and void. Either this is a creative expression, so it's part of the creative process. He makes it into a blob and then he refines it. So either without the form and void describes a creative process, or according to the Gap, the expression without form and void is describing a judgment. Pro- a judgment. So it's either creation or judgment. And when you compare that with Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 23, you have the exact same expression that appears in a, in a tribulation, in a sorrows context, where Jeremiah, he's seeing the destruction that God is bringing about Israel historically, but he's also on a secondary background seeing the future application to the Antichrist and the day of trouble. And the, the, the parallels are, are incredible between Genesis 1-2 and Jeremiah four twenty three. So in Genesis 1-2, Moses says, and the earth was without form and void. And then Jeremiah, viewing the judgment... That God's showing him in a vision uh, he says I beheld the earth and lo it was without form and void and the context in Jeremiah 4 is judgment and the next thing mm-hmm. you read in verse Genesis 1: 2 is that darkness was upon the face of the deep and the next thing you read in Jeremiah 4:23 is and the he- that he beheld the heavens and they had no light mm-hmm. so that's darkness so you've got three elements uh, matching Genesis 1: 2 the formlessness in Jeremiah 4:23 you have the formlessness a matching the void is matching and the darkness. Uh, matching so the expression without form and void is duplicated by jeremiah in a context of dis- destruction not creation mm-hmm. and then you have a third test test uh, witness to that which is isaiah 34 11, uh, where the land of edom is turned to burning pitch during the millennial kingdom and there isaiah says this is isaiah 34 11, but the cormorant and the bittern, those are fowls devils shall possess it the owl also and the raven shall dwell in it and he shall stretch upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness mm-hmm. confusion matching without form and emptiness matching void so and, and every time you see that the context is one of judgment so i am given to understand that the bible is using without form and void to describe a picture of judgment not a picture of creation a picture of dis- destruction not a picture of creation
0: mm-hmm. and and so what you're what you're what you're faced with is okay And this is why um, this is exactly the method by which we should arrive at what the scripture is teaching by looking at what scripture says about it, because you could say, well, I just can't believe that that would ever happen. Why not? Why not? Why couldn't you believe it? You couldn't believe it because it doesn't fit with what you already believe. If you can't believe it because it's not something that you've ever considered before. Well, then maybe you can increase your knowledge incre- and stretch your mind and say, okay, now I've got to include this. But see, here's what the classic thing that's done in fundamentalism, um, and I, I'm not throwing rocks at fundamentalism. I've been raised in that in that structure. Right. But what happens is, I think, well, guys, we know, and it goes back to the beginning of fundamentalism, quote, unquote, we have you know I have the book on my shelf over here that the, the 12 fundamentals right there was a series of volumes that came out with Ari e. Torrey and a bunch of other guys and hmm. we we know this this is true from scripture they're fighting the modernists well that's a great it's a great thing to delineate what you believe to state it okay this is what i believe about the scripture but if you're not careful that the, the fundamentals hmm. become the authority rather than the words of god himself that, that those words are the authority so yeah, it's almost like well, we have a catechism. We believe these things are true. Well, that's good because that's that's almost like a discipleship. You know, catechism is just a discipleship that is is systematized, uh, made makes it easier to mm-hmm. to have a structure, right? But if you're not careful, you begin to lean on that structure. And we well, if it was important, then brother so and so would have taught that. You know, Ari Tori certainly would have brought that out. And well, maybe they were fighting with evolution. They weren't fighting. Um, they weren't fighting with Bible believers. They were fighting with Bible correctors and rejectors, and they are saying, oh, it's very clear from Scripture that the, that the world was created by God. That is what it says. But there was an emphasis put on, well, then how do you explain, you know, Genesis 1-1, Genesis 1-2. That just was not in their, in, in their purview because they were fighting other battles. So, um, uh, and, and so I was going to say about the term void. So you can look up the term void, and, and here's what I do when I'm studying the Bible. Uh, I look up every definition or every use of the word that I can, and if it's hundreds, then you know I don't always have the time to do that. But um, then I then I look up, uh, I try to find a definition. I try to begin to assemble a definition from the different uses in 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 Scripture. And what I what I often do to to, to save time, is to go to uh, an etymological dictionary and look up the word, the English word and and what it what it means etymologically where it came from and a lot of times I'll find a connection and then I try to use whatever because that's the, the the dictionary is not the final authority it's the words of god so I take that that definition and I bring it over to the bible and I put it on this verse I say will that work okay it doesn't work there it doesn't work there. I did this with temperance a few months back you know because temperance is always seen as self control and the problem is if you look at that as connected with the word tempered then it's not a full oh. enough definition right so right. the word void when you're looking at that you can't just say well void just means you know just means empty well yeah it could be empty but but why is it empty you could you could so what the, what's interesting is the uh, the etymological definition of it is uh, void as an adjective is unoccupied vacant vacant and when you think of it from that standpoint, then you bring that definition. See if it actually will work. Again, the definition that I came up with is not the foundation. It's not the. It's not the final authority. But you put it against the words in Scripture to see does that work. Unoccupied, vacant. Um, what's another thing? Um, uh, abandoned, right? Uh, lacking. Yeah. And go ahead.
1: Yeah, go, well, and the um, so to jump right there because there's something up um, related to what you're saying. And and by the way, again, I want to make clear, uh, you know, we're talking about... Uh, I really appreciate, by the way, the historical stuff that you, you bring to that because, you know, that my, my history of American Christianity is, is very uh, weak. So it's interesting to see where some probably of this things thing. came from. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I I know there's a little of... Uh, some of our brethren listening in and th- there's a lot of believers that, that don't believe in the gap and they'll you know their only so authority is the scriptures it's not it's not necessarily the um, you know doctrines of fundamentalism it's not some kind of creed uh, that is preassembled for them and they do search the scriptures for themselves and they have no qualms against going against those creeds so if, if you're that kind of a person we're not talking to you but there are people including ourselves on some things that sometimes we have just you know, given to given to hold things because some mm-hmm. great fundamentalists gave us that, and we forget the context in which it was given, and then we can't move past beyond that. So if you're that kind of person that believes, well, so-and-so, doctor so-and-so believed that, and this is new doctrine, it's crazy, you know, then the words would apply to you. Take the time to check it on your own in the mm. scriptures. Uh, but, but I just want to make clear that I acknowledge that there's a lot of brethren that don't believe in the gap because of their own, you know, personal studies. Yes, but, yes. Uh, and I know you know that too you know just to clarify things again another disclaimer you know <laughs> um, but there's uh, to your point about so the the reason that void comes about okay uh, is it is it is it empty because he creates it empty and then he, he inhabits it or is this his, or this is and then he causes it to be inhabited or is this a a voiding of a previously inhabited uh, place and judgment so what I'm going to do here something that uh, um, maybe it's unusual for a Bible believer, but I have no problem personally, this is my conviction, going to the or- to original texts underlying the, the English language, uh, whether, whether they be Greek or Aramaic or Hebrew or what have you. I, I got no qualms about that at all. The King James Bible translators did that. What I, have, what I have a problem with is correcting the text of the King James Bible. I think it's perfect. Right. And, as when, it and when
0: you say original language, notice you did not say original manuscript. Right. There's there's a distinction to right, be made right. between that,
1: right? Yeah, and, and, that's what and I, was I to want to mean.
0: throw one something in before you. And I want to hear what you, I, I got to hear. this. I'm, sure, I'm interested to hear, but I do want to say one other other thing. I ran into this um, in our study of Revelation, um, and I'm, I, I honestly, I, I really don't, I couldn't care any less about Hebrew probably than 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 I do, and Greek and so forth. But I I did find this interesting. Revelation nine eleven when the Lord is talking about the angel of the bottomless pit, he he stops and says, hey, in the Hebrew, it's this, and in the Greek, it's this. Um, exactly. So.
1: And and that's, it's when I read that very verse, uh, Brother John, that I'm like, hey, hang on a second. Like, the Lord himself has given you a definition of Greek and Hebrew mm-hmm. from my King James Bible. So my King James Bible is the one sending me back to Greek and Hebrew. So if I'm a right. King James Bible believer, it's not that because i line up with how dr ruckman presented it what are what is an orthodox king james bible believer is the one who sees it exactly like dr ruckman sees it well no an orthodox king james bible believer is the one that sees it as the king james bible believer presents it yes and the king james bible sends me back to the hebrew and greek sometimes so i am just that's why i feel perfectly justified in going back to that uh, Mm -hmm. as long as i don't you know i don't think i think the text is perfectly translated as it is in english and that it's I don't I don't have a single problem saying that uh, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit and it's definitely a living text. So I don't correct a thing in it, yes. but the Bible justifies me in doing that. And I like to see what the King James Bible translators did. Which, by the way, uh, keep in mind when we argue our position as King James Bible believers in a debate, we argue our position based on the correct translation of the Hebrew and the Greek. Yes. Right. So we'll, we'll tell people well, the King James Bible translators picked the right greek manuscripts they pick the right greek t- uh, hebrew texts you guys's translation is based on corrupt greek and hebrew so it's kind of uh, almost a, a contradictory stance to w- on one side in a debate argue that we've got the right hebrew and the right greek and then never appeal to them um in studying the bible not appealing to them to correct the text mm-hmm. but to reinforce the text yes to reinforce the text so there, when he talks about, um, he's going to stretch upon them the line of confusion. The uh, this is uh, this is Isaiah thirty-four verse eleven. Um, by the way, if people are wondering, um, when he talks about, whoop, it
0: there. Um, Sorry to when get you he, sidetracked on that. <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. In
1: uh, what the the King James translators correctly interpreted confusion uh, and emptiness as a uh, tohu and bohu, which is. Mm-hmm. The same words in Genesis 1-2. Okay, so Genesis, it's so in Hebrew, in the correct text, Genesis 1-2 is tohu wabohu. Um, without form and void. You have the same exact expression, tohu wabohu, in Isaiah 34, 11, and there they translated it as confusion. So without form, the King James Bible translators in one place translated Tohu as without form, and another translated it as confusion. So it is it is it is a it is a formless confusion what you get because and remember the context is judgment. That form was it was without form in the sense that it's confused. So the the valleys have been destroyed, the mountains have been overthrown, water is all over the place, mud. It's a, it's you know the picture of destruction when a hurricane passes through, as it were, and everything is on top of each other, or like the flood where everything is on top of each other. That's the picture that you are you are you are. Um, you're given, and Job refers to, so you're, um, Isaiah 34, 11, you get how he did it, that God made the earth without form by stretching upon it the line of confusion, and he made it void by stretching upon it the stones of emptiness, when you get to look at the verses together. I'm doing this just with the English now, and Job refers to that too, and Job 28, verse three, he talks about that kind of a process that God does, Job 28, three, He says, uh, he setteth, talking about God, He setteth an end to darkness. He stops the darkness. Well, how did God do that in Genesis 1? So this is Job Sorry 28. Sorry about 3. that. No worries. So Genesis 28. 3, he setteth an end to darkness. Hmm. So the darkness comes to an end. So it's not part of the creative process. Because you've got another weird thing happening, if you say that Genesis 1-2 is part of the creative process, then you've got darkness as part of the creative process. That's odd even if it's a link in the creative chain that's still odd for god and him is no darkness it's it's odd i'm not saying it's the best argument but it's odd you know Mm -hmm. but then when you read job 28 3 he he setteth an end to darkness and that's exactly what we have in genesis 1 3 let there be light ending the darkness because the light scattereth the darkness he says and he searcheth out and searcheth out all perfection the stones of darkness matching the stones of emptiness in isaiah 34 Uh, and then and now follows the judgment of death after the sons of darkness, the shadow of death. So God brings the darkness on the, on the world of uh, Lucifer and the ensuing death. And then verse 4, to confirm the application in Genesis 2, 1-2, watch what Job says next in Job 28-4. The flood breaketh out from the inhabitant. Those are the waters over the earth. So there was an inhabitant. Even the waters forgotten of the foot, they are drawn up, they are gone away from men. So, and you've got a picture of God using a flood as a destruction in Nehemiah chapter one. He talks about uh, destroying Nineveh with an overrunning flood, and the palace of the gates being dissolved. He says, um, Nineveh's been, you know, been judged. she's like a, a of old like a pool of water, just like the earth was, the context of his judgment. And then Second Peter chapter three talks about the same kind of thing. So that water there, when you put the verses together, it seems that that water was brought in as part of judgment not as a part of a, uh, dist- uh, of a creation process. And the imagery of Genesis 1-2 will beautifully match the imagery of Genesis um, 8. So look, you've got uh, the earth is covered in water in Genesis 1-2. And the Bible says the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. But then when you have Genesis chapter 9, after Noah's flood, which we all agree is judgment, not creation. After Noah's flood, you've got once again, the earth is covered with waters. And one of the fowls that Noah lets fly over the waters is the dove. And we know that's a figure of the of the Holy Spirit of God, because mm. in, in Luke, when <coughs> Jesus is baptized, he says that the uh, Holy Spirit came down in bodily fashion like a dove upon him. So mm. look at the look at the image. You've got Genesis 9, you've got a dove picturing the Holy Ghost flying over waters. And the context is definitely judgment. And you've got in Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit, who is gets pictured by dove also moving on top of waters. So the imagery mm. is exactly the same, and the imagery is one of destruction, not one of creation.
0: Mm. That's interesting. I don't think I've... <clears throat> I, I, if I have, I've forgotten it, um, about the uh, the dove and how the, the dove <clears throat> is flying over um, over the water. And I'm looking at it right now. Wow. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And so what so what you have there is you have that recreation and then you have the another recreation with Genesis 9, 8 and 9 with Noah, right? And then man I can I want right. to I want to go back and study that and follow, find Another one, but you're talking about the baptism. So, so Christ is under the water, and um, the Spirit of God descends in the form of a dove. I'm gonna have to think about that one. That's uh, that's really good. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, I think,
1: brother John, there's something that there's like a constant th- uh, thudding or thumping that's going on. Maybe from the oh, desk really? or something. Something is shaking oh. a little bit.
0: Um, I don't hear it myself, but who am I? And what right do I have? No, oh,
1: okay, no, that's fine. Okay, well, we'll probably try to. If it's a technical thing, we'll try to get that fixed uh, uh, for yeah. the hearers By the way, uh, another thing too, where without form doesn't is not is not a another kind of Bible evidence for me that without form is not describing creative process or a mid state of things, is uh, you've got a description of the Lord Himself like that in Isaiah fifty three verse two, you know, the the famous chapter that prophesies the crucifixion of the Lord.
0: Uh, yes. Um, what is that? What, what is that? It's uh, Isaiah 53 verse two. He hath no form. He hath no form. Yeah. Yeah. Nor, nor comeliness. So it's not that the
1: Lord is entirely formless. Obviously, He has a form. He's got a humanoid form. But it's the the implication is that it's not a pretty form. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. not. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. wasn't It wasn't a Calvin Klein model walk around, right? Um, and then the the chapter right before it. We're, again, we're comparing scripture with scripture. Isaiah fifty-two verse fourteen, the chapter before it, fifty-two fourteen, he says, "As many as were stony, that the uh, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men." So his form is marred. Now there, so in Isaiah fifty-two, the form is marred as a result of judgment because he's being beaten in the face, now we mm. know that. And Isaiah fifty-three, no form just means not a pretty form. So it's not that Christ didn't have a shape because he's said to have a form, but he lost the form of his visage because of all the buffeting and the beard plucking that he endured. And so similarly, it's not that the earth had no shape at all, but that it was without form in the sense that it had lost its original form and became without form and void because of God's judgment.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so you were talking about your illustration that you found in the park.
1: Yeah, physical proof, visible proof today. Uh, Anybody with a telescope? And it's the state of the other planets. Because if you look at the other planets, and if I had to describe them with the King's English, how apt a description would without form and void be for Mars, for Venus, for Jupiter? And when I look at the storm that's uh, in Jupiter, or where there's, a, there's a, the eye of the storm there, the eye of the storm is 10, si- 10 times the size of planet Earth. Uh, and then you've got Jupiter also men- mentioned in the Bible with an image falling uh, from, from Jupiter that the people worshipped, all the satanic connect- connections of the planet Jupiter. But when you, when you look at a storm like that, uh, to me that's judgment. And it kind of dawned on me that's exactly the state of the other planets without form and void. They were all judged because the Bible mentions planets, by the way. So they're all kind of back in, in the original creation there in Genesis one one. It's the heaven includes the, the planets. And they all got judged. So in Genesis 1-2, not only is the earth without form and, and, and void, Mars is without form and void, Jupiter is without form and void, uh, Uranus is without form and void, Saturn, Pluto, all those, um, I know some people say Pluto is not a planet, but that's not here, neither here or there, but they're all without form and void. And the Lord picks the base of the scent, the jewel of all that, which is earth, and he restarts it once again. So if you want to see if it's creation or judgment, look at Jupiter. That's without form and void. And that storm on there is the judgment of God on probably some, some angels that are bound in there, some some, some uh, fallen angels that the Lord has bound there because we know that the Bible from the Bible that they dwell in heavenly places, and high spiritual wickedness in high places, um, which is why the Lord has to cleanse the heavens. And why, by the way, on the second day, that's the only day where God doesn't say that he saw that it was good. And you have the answer in Job, where he says, behold, the heavens are not clean in his sight. Why? Because they're filled with unclean spirits. So just look at the other planets. Hmm. That is judgment, and that's what the earth looked like before the Lord terraformed it. What are we trying to do today? Go to the other planets and terraforming, terraform them. We're trying to replicate what God did with this planet in Genesis uh, chapter one.
0: Mm-hmm. And so you see what what George did there um, was was bring in a whole bunch of different verses and different passages from various places in the Bible. And so now when you read it there's more understanding see what 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 the Lord wants us to do is he he wants us to see the word as he sees it and a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways why because of our uncleanness because of our heart departing from the Lord the Lord brings us together he wants our eye to be single and when our eye is single our whole body is full of light rather than well I have this belief about this isolated passage over here and then I have this belief over here, and the whole Bible is a bunch of Tupperware containers in your cabinet, instead of bring it in and mix up the recipe according to scripture. And now the word of God is unified and it is um, it is illuminated in your heart. And, and you start sensing God in every passage of scripture rather than just an isolated piece where, okay, I understand that. Now it is, you get the rhythm of what's going on, God is connecting you, uh, and you see that, like you mentioned, the redemptive arc across all of human of human history, and it's uh, it's a really cool thing. Now, the only danger, of course, is that you can come up with really cool ideas. Yeah, that doesn't mean that that's what God that's what happened. That does not even mean what the Bible's teaching. So you have to be you have to be careful. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the reins and try the heart. The Lord can keep you. That's why I said, study to show thyself approved unto God. So you, you, you come up with these theories and the ideas, and we bounce them off one another. But, but you mentioned, I'm out in the park praying. What are you doing? I don't know what you're praying about. Maybe you're praying about this issue. But that's a great, that's a great uh, example of how we should study the Bible. Lord, is this what you mean? Lord, is this the way I should think about this passage? Not, this is really cool, I'm going to text my my close ministry friends or my close buddies and say, hey, I'm thinking about this, what about that? Yeah, you do that, like what we're doing right here, iron sharpening iron, but don't forget to hold up to God your particular theories. Why? He said, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. You know, we often think about, well, you don't want to be caught, you know, uh, called out in the carpet and somebody asks you a question that you don't know the answer to, we're supposed to have a reason for every you know, to every man to ask us a reason. Yeah, but what if God asked you a question about his word? What if God, like uh, Job, called you up and said, hey, stand up, gird up your loins like a man, answer me these things. Well, Job didn't have the completed word of God like we do. We have it. And so study to show yourself approved unto God and be a workman so you don't have to be ashamed if God were to say, what did I teach regarding this? Well, Lord, um, my pastor said this. Well, that's good. What did I say in the word? Hopefully you don't have to go to a church where the pastor is at constant odds with the word, but um, what is God saying? And so as we get to the end, we got to wrap it up here pretty soon, uh, George. Any final, any final uh, parting shots?
1: Yeah, and amen to it, everything you said. Um, and again, I know plenty of people who believe who they meant that, who don't see the gap. Mm-hmm. One last thing about bringing things together is I mentioned the parallel imagery about the dove over the waters in Noah's case, but all of Noah Noah's story kind of parallels also Adam's. Um, and, you know, like he's he's the new Adam. He's one mm-hmm. of the, Jesus is the last Adam, but Noah was like Adam number two, as it were. And uh, he also sins in connection to a, to a tree because he gets drunk with the vine mm-hmm. and it's a, there are sexual connotations to the sin. And then there's a judgment that ensues. And he also is given to to be fruitful and multiply. And he's commanded to replenish the earth. Now, I, I know that the word replenish does not, um, for a lot of people say, well, you're replenishing. It doesn't mean that um, it wasn't necessarily it. So people will argue, say, well, replenish, it could have been the first time you're doing that. I have a hard time seeing how exactly um, I think it was it was a deliberate choice of words based uh, from the Holy Spirit but that cross-reference between the Lord commanding Adam to replenish and then commanding Noah to replenish uh, suggests that and I say suggests that just like Noah was repopulating the earth after a judgment of water it's not so the argument is not just based on the word replenish but it's, it's that parallel imagery that you also look at Adam with all the parallels he had with Noah and there was also water in the context right after which the man is created and he's told to replenish. So to me it's just too close for comfort not for there to be a gap. I mean when I read those things I feel like deja vu over here. It's almost like the Lord is hinting at it. And then when you get to the whole idea about the angels being created uh, in Job chapter 38 the Lord asks uh, Job, you know he tells him where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth when the sons of God shouted for joy And and the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. And this is he saying when he's laid the foundation of the earth. So they're not picking up their songs on like, you know, day two when they were created. It's clear that the angels are there when the Lord is laying the foundation of the earth. They're already created. Well, when were they created? That's a big question. And then you've got a devil that kind of falls within, what, a few days or weeks after his creation. It's, the, the whole thing is caricatured almost. But as you go on, you read in Ezekiel that Lucifer was in the Garden of Eden. That He was in the Garden of Eden not as a serpent. He was in the Garden of Eden covered with all the precious stones that he had in his glory. So before his fall, and you start putting two and two together, and you see his hatred that he's got for mankind, you start getting the the, the idea that we are the replacement, as it were. I mean, Aaron is decked almost identically like Lucifer is decked in Ezekiel twenty-eight, the way Aaron's decked with the stones. He's got nine sto- uh, twelve stones. Lucifer had nine, it seems. So. What you get out of that, the macro view of this, is that God created... Why would you have like a a lower class of angels with men? It's just the whole thing is odd. I mean, angels are enough. There's the angels. God's got the angels in their varied forms, by the way. And then there's obviously a rebellion there. And God destroys the whole place. And then he's going to teach the devil a lesson by recreating people like angels, but a little lower, made of clay, made of a lump of clay, and we become so hated because we are the less qualified replacement, as it were. And Mm -hmm. then when you read the Bible with this and you read about uh, Satan's obsession with the uh, reclaiming Jerusalem and the promised land, which is strong connections between Israel and and the Garden of Eden, you get like a... I never again read my Bible the same way. And I look at the history of mankind completely differently in the context of a pre-Adamite angelic civilization where Earth and Heaven were connected and there was a split that was created between them and now has created God has created mankind as an object lesson according to Ephesians chapter three, particularly with the church, to those angels that rebelled against him. Everything just seems to jive a lot more and you have a better macro view of human history to mm. me.
0: Yes, and, and so what's, I love that. And, and, uh, and I, I, I'm telling you, when I read the scripture, um, I can read it two ways. I can read it according to my own intellect and my own ideas. Or I can read it according to the way God sees it. And the, expre- the, the word of God is the expression of who God is and what God cares about. And so I now, as I read it like this, have an opportunity to think about what God thinks. So today in our reading, uh, we're reading through uh, 1 Samuel, and I'm reading about Saul and how Saul was, um, you know, it was, was not the first choice. Uh, God wanted to have a theocracy. He wanted to be the king and they instead. Okay, now we're on to the second plan, which is I don't even want to do this, um, but I'm I want you to make a king for him. And then you watch how Saul turns against God and won't obey. And it just is a reminder of what God how long suffering our God is and how he puts up with people and how he has he has chosen I am going to see this mankind story out to the end. I'm going to give them a will, the ability to make a choice, and I am going to see it all the way through. Our God is not a quitter. Even after we die and our bodies rot, He's going to change our vile body that it can be made like into His glorious body in the resurrection. He's going to, we're going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. He doesn't give up. He will. He refuses to stop working. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. He does it in the macro. He does it in the micro. And he is continually a creator who sticks by his creation all the way through. He fixes the problems that we created, and um, it just makes me want to give glory to God.
1: Amen. Absolutely. Amen to all that. I don't know if there's any problem that we didn't create. <laughs> I guess the devil. But you know. I hope we. Didn't We're certainly good too. tools.
0: <laughs> yes. And I hope we didn't create too many problems with this podcast, but uh if nothing else it's good good food for thought, good for you to challenge your assumptions. Yeah. And and what I love about talking with people who don't who don't see it the same way that I do, which I'm not saying that's what but George is today, but for me personally when I talk to people, if they believe the Bible is the word of God, what that does is it expands the Bible. It takes it out of my grubby hands and yeah. we're right because this is what we believe and we believe we be, We believe what's right because we believe it. It's like this circular reasoning. No, let it go. It's the word of God. You can trust it, and you don't have to worry about whether it's going to hold up. It's going to be trustworthy for the rest of time. And uh, God's not going to hurt you. You Don't have to worry about that. Um, God's going to bring you further and further in uh, to his heart and show you the truth. So, Brother George, thank you for for all that. It's a lot of information. If you have interest in knowing more about this stuff, you have questions for us, Um, or if you want to open up a a dialogue of some kind, you can do that by writing to us at witsendguys at gmail.com. That's witsendguys. And And we'd be happy to hear from you. And uh, Lord willing, we'll hit you again next time. And looking forward to, um, to hearing from you and seeing what God's doing in your life.
1: Amen. God bless you all.